Welcome to the Arise Church Podcast. At Arise, we're a community of imperfect people pursuing and experiencing a transformative relationship with Jesus and one another. For more information, you can find us online at ariseonline.org. Thanks for listening. Wow, for the cause of Christ I live, for the cause of Christ I die. Whew, that is a pretty powerful lyric. And very timely, actually, according to what I'm going to share this morning. So thank you, worship team. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. Thanks so much for coming. It's great to be here. It's great to have the opportunity to share with you today. I don't know about you, but one of the things that I hate about myself is that a lot of times I lose things. Things that are important to me, and I'll go searching for them, and I can't find them. And it's disturbing to me. And just the other day, uh, I lost something very important to me, and that was my slippers. I have a picture of my slippers. They're very worn. You see, I live, or I live at home, of course. I work at home, and I have this little office, and usually about every day, about 9.30, 10 o'clock, after I've been in there for an hour or two, my feet start getting cold, and I have to go get my slippers. Well, the other day, I went to go get my slippers, and they were gone. I couldn't find them, and it was really annoying, and I couldn't concentrate. I had to keep looking. I, maybe they're underneath the couch, so I go look under the couch, or maybe they got put in the other closet, and I just look and look and look, and I, I, I can't find them. And when I can't find something, it's very hard for me, and I keep searching until I find it. And this morning, we are going to talk about three stories, and they're all about lost things. And the main character is a little bit like me when I couldn't find my slippers. They will look until it's found, passionate about finding what is lost. And so that's what we're going to talk about today in Luke chapter 15. But before we do that, I just want to lift us up uh, this morning in prayer. So God, we just thank you for this day, this time to come, this opportunity to worship and to hear from your word. God, may you use what I shared this morning. May your word speak through me. May it touch our hearts. May you stir us this day that we might be drawn near to your heart, that we might go, that we might search, and that we might find for your glory. So we ask all these things in your name. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at Luke 15 today, mostly just verses 1 through 10. Um, but this chapter has three parables in it. And many of them are these three probably you are very familiar with. This is the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son, also known as the prodigal son. So we're going to look at those three parables this morning, and we're going to answer two questions. The t- questions are this. One... Who are the lost? And two, how are we to respond? So pretty simple questions. Who are the lost? How are we to respond? That's what we're going to look at this morning. Now, many of us know the third story pretty well, the prodigal son. So I'm actually not going to spend any time on that because we know it. It's a great story. We could dig into that. There's so much rich stuff in this story. But because we mostly know it, I want to focus on the first two, the coin and the sheep. But we know about the prodigal son. He receives, he asks for his inheritance early. He takes it, he goes off, he runs away from his household, he, he parties it all away, his inheritance, and he's left with nothing. He ends up working in a pig farm and eating the pig food, comes to his senses, and he says, I'm going to go back home. So he goes back home, and we see this beautiful picture of the father who welcomes him back home with open arms, and it's just such a beautiful picture of grace and of love. 
And so what we see this morning is, you know, God the Father, he's not just like that waiting father who rejoices when his son returns, but he's also like the desperate woman who loses a coin and she searches carefully until she finds it. And he's like that shepherd who lost a sheep, the sheep that wandered off and he searches for it and when he finds it, he takes it and puts it on his shoulders and he brings it home and then he rejoices. You see, these three parables, the sheep, the coin, and the son, all three of them individually and together corporately, they speak to the character of God the Father. They speak to his love and his passion for the lost. And so that's what we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 7, which is the story of the lost sheep. So verses 1 to 7. So I'll read it here this morning. Verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told this parable. Suppose one of them has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 to the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So that's the story of the lost sheep. Now let me give you a little bit of context here because it's always important to have some context. As we see in the first, two vor- the first two verses, there's something happening here. There's Jesus, he's talking to the sinners and the tax collectors, but there's these Pharisees, these religious leaders who are standing around and they're not happy with him. They're angry at him and they're, they're muttering. They're using this word murmur. In some texts it says murmur and other times it says muttering. And it's used twice in the New Testament, this word murmured. Twice in the New Testament. And what it means is this swirling of complaining that is often used to incite rioting. So these Pharisees, they are not happy. They're not happy that Jesus is talking to these these outcast people, these dirty, these disgraceful, these unclean people. Why would he do that? Even more so, it says he's eating with them, which culturally, that's even more of of an issue for the Pharisees because when you eat with someone, that's like you calling them your equal. So if they're your equal, you eat with them. You befriend them. And so these Pharisees, they're not happy about what Jesus is doing. What an audacious thing that he would do. So that's the context. That's what's happening here. So it's out of that that Jesus says, okay, let me share you with you three stories. And the first one is this one about the lost sheep. Now, I don't know a lot about shepherding. In fact, I have never shepherded an animal at all. So I did some research about shepherds and shepherding in particular, about those in the Middle East and, and during biblical times. And I found this guy, his name is Ken Bailey. And Ken is a Middle Eastern missionary and scholar. And he had a lot to say about shepherds and shepherding, specifically during the time of Jesus. And so what he said was, first off, that shepherds during that time, were, they were thought of as really low people. They were kind of despised and looked down upon. And he also said that most shepherds during the time of Jesus, they would have anywhere between, say, five and ten sheep. So most the normal shepherd would have a herd of around five to ten sheep. Well, here in this story, how many of the sheep does the shepherd have? He has a hundred, right? He has a hundred sheep. So this is a pretty wealthy, pretty resourced shepherd. He's got a hundred sheep. 
And Ken points out that, you know, if you're rich and you have a hundred sheep, you would never bother to go find the one lost sheep. And if you did, you'd probably hire some common person and go find it for you. You see, the rich shepherd would never lower himself to trotting and plodding through the mud and the muck and the bristles to find one lost sheep. But in this parable, that's exactly what happens. Not to mention that when he finds it, it says that he picks it up and carries it home. It sounds like a sweet little bedtime story, just picking up the sheep and bringing it home. Well, anyone who's worked with sheep at all, you know that sheep are pretty stubborn and kind of dumb animals. When I uh, was out of college, I worked at a, a theater as an actor, and one of the things I had to do in one role was I, had, I was a shepherd, and I had this sheep that I had to take with me on stage. And so every day for the show, I'd take the sheep on stage, and he would sit down, and I'd do my thing. And one day, this sheep, it would not go on stage. It just sat there with his arms, you know, sitting there, and I'm pulling it and pulling it. I, could, I couldn't get it to come on stage. So I'm kind of prodding it, you know, gently, of course, prodding it, and it would not move. And so I actually just, I went on stage as a shepherd without a sheep. And the director after the show is like, John, what are you doing? Where is your sheep? I'm like, the dumb thing wouldn't come on stage. What am I supposed to do? It's a dumb sheep. And so when you look at this story, here's the shepherd. They're going out to find this sheep that's been wandering. And here's this creature. And they make it sound like it just picks it up and brings it home. And there's a picture of a sheep here. I did some research. There's a sheep. Now, this is a, a sheep that you'd find in like the Middle East and specifically around Israel. At least that's what Google said. So look at that thing. It's got these big horns. Imagine picking that thing up, as it says in the Bible, and you put it on your shoulders. It's like you see those horns. You can imagine those horns, you know, hitting you in the head. Not to mention, sheep, uh, an adult sheep, typically weighs between 110 and 125 pounds. So this is a large animal. This is a big animal that this shepherd picks up and carries on his shoulders to bring him home. Now let me pause there for just a moment. Isn't that kind of like Jesus? Enduring our pain to bring us home. See, Jesus is saying in this parable, I am not ashamed to do the work of a lowly shepherd, to plod through the mud and find you and bring you home. Then I love at the end, it says that when he finds the sheep, he brings them home and he goes to his friends and he rejoices, I found my lost sheep. You see, what kind of a God is it that we sing about, that we come here to worship? It's that kind of a God. Since the beginning, God has been like that good shepherd to seek us out, to restore us, to recover us through the blood of Jesus. So take that picture of the lost sheep, that story, and just kind of hold it there for a second. We're going to come back to it in a moment. Now I want to go on to the second story, which is the story of the lost coin. It's verses uh, 8 through 10, Luke 15, 8 to 10. And it says this, Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So Jesus introduces us to this woman, and she has 10 coins, and the Bible says there that the coins are silver coins. 
Maybe your, your uh, Bible has a little note at, at the, at the, uh, next to the word coins and, and it has a, a reference on the bottom to say that they're drachma. Drachma was, it was basically a day's wage. So here this woman has 10 coins and each of them are worth a day's wage. And so that's, that's quite a bit of money. You think about it in our life now. Maybe that's, I don't know how much money you make a day, $100, $200, whatever. I'm not sure what an average daily salary would be, but that's, that's a decent amount of money. And for a person, a, a, a peasant woman, someone who wasn't wealthy, that'd be a really valuable commodity. And so as we see here, she makes every effort to go and find this thing. So I did a little bit of research as well about homes during the biblical day and age. And I came to find out that most homes had one room with two levels. Most homes were these two-leveled, one-roomed home. What they would do is in the bottom level, at night, they would bring in a few of their livestock and they would keep them in the bottom level of the house so there'd be the hay and all the other stuff and the livestock would be down there and then they'd climb the stairs and above it would be their living quarters where they would have their, their meal and their bed and everything else. So it was this two-leveled, one-roomed home. So as you can imagine, these homes were very dirty because of the animals and all the other stuff that was happening in them. So they were often very cluttered. And so to find one single lost coin in the midst of all this mess would be really hard. It was a serious issue. So that's part of the reason I think why we see this woman really frenzied to find this valuable coin for her. So much so that in verse eight, it says she lights a lamp, which would have used precious oil. And she sweeps the house looking for this coin. And again, when she finds it, what does she do? She rejoices, and it's a wonderful ending to the story. Well, what's going on in this parable? It's actually not really as much about the coin as it is about the woman, the crazy woman who would do anything to find what's lost. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, don't you get it? That's the heart of my father. You see, that's why I'm eating with the tax collectors. That's why I'm befriending the sinners. Because you see, God is the shepherd who will tromp through the mud to bring us home. And he's also like that crazy woman who would move heaven and earth to find what's lost. Because see, God the Father has a passion for what is lost. So there's our two stories, the sheep and the coin. So what does it mean for us today? And I'll go back to those two questions. Number one, who are the lost? And number two, as we look at these parables, how are we to respond? So I think there's a couple different things that these three stories, so now I'll bring the prodigal son story in for just a moment. I think they, three things they teach us about who the lost are. I think they teach us a lot about lostness in general. The third story, which is the prodigal son, it kind of speaks of this lostness like, like the prodigal son, the one who chose to rebel and leave. The one who ran from the father, the one who didn't want anything to do, he ran and he rebelled for whatever reason. Maybe he was angry, maybe it was some sort of pride. I don't know what it was, but this person rebelled and left. It's a sense of lostness, running from God. Now I imagine that all of us could probably write down the name of someone that we know of. Maybe it's a friend or a relative that is kind of like this lost person. They're running from God. They're angry. Whatever it is, they're turning and moving the other way. Actually, maybe some of you in the room today kind of feel like this person. Maybe you've, for whatever reason, 
you're angry at God and, and you just find yourself saying, you know, I just don't want anything to do with it right now. I just, that's not for me. And you find yourself rebelling and running the other way. If that happens to be you this morning, let me just share this with you that God the Father, he waits with open arms to welcome you home. The second story, which I think gives us another different version of lostness, is the first story, which is the story of the lost sheep. See, the sheep, the sheep didn't rebel. It wasn't angry at God. It didn't, or at the shepherd. It didn't run and turn the other way. The sheep, you know, sheep just kind of wander, right? They just kind of drift off. Something entices them. They, maybe they pick up a scent of something, and they just follow it, and they wander off. The sheep, when they get lost, they just get distracted and they wander. There are many in this world who are kind of like the lost sheep. They're just wandering. They're following after the cravings that our culture and our world offer. The shiny new toys, the, the, the things that we can become so consumed with, the materialism. And they wander off and all of these things entice them and they take the place of any relationship or any pursuit of God that they have. Their mind comes focused on gathering, consuming. Maybe it's, maybe it's work. That's a struggle. Maybe your work has been so central and so important to you that it's, it's kind of taken the place of your pursuit and intimacy with the Lord. Maybe it's because you want to make more money or you want to build your business or you want to climb a corporate ladder. I don't know what it is. But maybe your work has taken the place of your relationship with God. For some, maybe it's some compulsion, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's alcohol or sex or drugs, or just simply busyness. You find yourself wandering off under all these things that you have to do, and then you look back and say, man, my intimacy with the Lord is, is feels bankrupt and empty. I think the truth is that we probably all at some point in our life have felt like we have wandered. I know that I have. I know there's been times where, for whatever reason, I've become consumed with something. I'll turn away, and after four or five days or whatever, I'll look back and say, man, how, how did that happen? How did I get so far from the intimacy with God that I long for? So I think another type of lostness is just those who are just wandering. They're just, they're just at drift. The third one is what we find in our second story, and that's the coin. The coin was just kind of forgotten, Sheep, they wander. Coins, they don't wander. Sheep, they get distracted, but a coin literally has no choice at all. A coin is not responsible for getting lost. It's just lost. Here's what happened, I think, to the coin. I think it just fell through the cracks. And if someone doesn't get searching... If someone doesn't get sweeping, that coin, these coins, they will never be found. Think about coins as people, forgotten people. Lost, maybe they're the disposable, outcast people who fall through the cracks. In Jesus' time, those were the, the sick, the lame, the, the blind, the prostitute, the tax collector, the very people that we see Jesus eating with, caring for, pursuing after, like the leper touching. You see, 
The love of God is amazing. It's radical. What about today? Who are some of the lost people that fall through the cracks today? Who are the lost coin people in our society today? Marginalized and the outcasts. I don't know what comes to mind when I say that in your mind. I'm not sure what picture you have. Maybe it's uh, the beggar that's on the, the highway um, that's got that sign, I'm hungry. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's a, 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 an immigrant or a refugee, someone that doesn't speak your language, someone that doesn't look like you. Maybe it's the elderly. Do you know that right now in Sioux Falls there are over 1,000 people who are sitting in nursing homes around our city? Over 1,000 people in nursing homes in our city. And so many of them are lonely. Maybe it's a single mom. The mom was trying to balance a job and trying to balance taking care of their kid or kids. And they're trying to just, they're trying to work their way through life, but they just go through and, and nobody seems to care. Nobody seems to want to help. Maybe it's that single mom that comes to your mind or the alcoholic or drug addict. I don't know what it is. I'm not sure what picture you see, but when I see a lost person, one of the first faces that come to mind for me is my friend Matthew. And I think I've shared a little bit about Matthew before. Matthew has been in prison for 10 years. He's actually in Springfield. 10 years ago, he, six, his six-month-old daughter started crying and she was crying uncontrollably in, in anger and in rage. He picked her up. And in that moment, he just didn't know what to do and he just shook her and he killed her. And he's in for 45 years. He'll get out when he's 67. And I got connected to Matthew because a pastor heard about him and said, he doesn't have any family around. No one knows anything about him. Would you mind just going and befriending him? So I have. It's been about four and a half years now uh, that I've gotten to know him. And there's not a day that passes that he doesn't wish he could go back to that night and do it all over again. Well, about, uh, well, it was Christmas. Christmas day of last year. I, uh, I went to visit him. And I spent a couple hours with him. And then at the end, as I was leaving, I noticed there was this table and had all of these really cool woven hats, these handmade woven stocking hats that were on there. And there's a sign that said that they were made by the inmates and that you could just take a couple and they were for free. So I kind of looked at them like, oh, these are really nice. And so I grabbed one. And, and as I was standing there at the table, I looked over and I noticed this family. It was a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, I'm assuming, and, they, and it was their son that they were saying goodbye to. And the, the father hugged the son and he said, I love you, son. And the son said, thanks, dad. See, I'll see you soon. And uh, as they were leaving, they came over to the table and yeah, the father, they're just kind of looking at these hats. Oh, these are nice, you know, so on and so forth. And there was this prison guard that was standing just right a few feet from the table. And this guy was as bald as can be. And he was standing there and the father's kind of looking at these hats and he kind of looked up at the prison guard and he kind of chuckled and he said, on a cold day like this, it looks like you could use one of these things. The prison guard goes, Phew. it's like, I would never put on my head anything made by the hands of one of these inmates, even if I was gonna freeze to death. And I got out to the car and I, I actually had tears come to my eyes because I'm just like, wow, you know, Matthew, he's one of the 4,000 inmates that we have in South Dakota right now. And that's what they feel every day. 
that they're worthless, that they're useless. Just, just keep them locked up. They don't disturb us. It's the way our society sees so many of the forgotten people. Our city is full of lost people. Our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools. Actually, I saw a stat the other day, 100,000 unclaimed religious people in the city of Sioux Falls. So unclaimed, meaning you have evangelicals, you have Catholics, you have other forms of Protestantism. They all make up another number. These are unclaimed. These are unreligious. These are people who don't know Jesus. 100,000 people in our city. Nas census was in 2010. I imagine the number has risen a lot over the last seven years. Some of these lost people, they're mad like the prodigal son and they're running from Jesus. Some of them have just kind of wandered. And yet there are others who are lost and they have just simply fallen through the cracks. Nobody knows about them. So our second question, how is it that we are to respond? How are we to respond? Well, one of my favorite little uh, dramas or shows is this show called The Cotton Patch Gospel. Maybe you've heard of it before. Uh, It was written by a guy named Clarence Jordan. He was a pastor in the 1960s. And he says this about the story of the lost coin. He's talking about the lost coin here. He says this, what does she do? Oh, she gets a broom. And she sweeps, and she sweeps, and she sweeps. She lights a lamp until what? Until she wears out the broom? Until the lamp went out? No. Well, how long did she sweep? How long did she sweep? Until she found it. And how long was that? As long as necessary. So how do we respond We're supposed to sweep as long as necessary. As a missions pastor, I will admit to you that these three parables, they excite me and they terrify me. They terrify me because when I look in the mirror and I look around at the church and I look at our Christian culture, I don't see a real love for the lost, if I'm being honest. I see a pretty comfortable Christian culture in church. And that's me too. I don't see people dropping everything, seeking the lost. I see very few who are sweeping. The Bible talks about the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I heard someone say not long ago that it's like the harvest is so plentiful that the fruit is on the ground but it's rotting because there's nobody to go out and harvest it. There's 100,000 in our city. Who's harvesting? We've got to get sweeping, church. And it's not going to be easy. It's hard and it's confusing and it hurts. But it's what the heart of the Father calls us to do. And here's why it excites me. Here's why these parables excite me. Because while I have so far to go in this, I know the incredible blessing that comes from God for those who go and sweep. The exhilaration of seeing someone give their life to Jesus. The thrill of watching a life be transformed. It's incredible. 
And I believe because, because I see it, I have the opportunity to see it all around the globe as I work with churches all across the nations, I believe that when the church realigns itself with this mission, with this task, and makes it a priority, it will be transformed. It'll be revived. It'll be on fire like we sing about. It's time to get sweepy. I'm gonna share one last story. I invite the worship band to come forward here as I end. About seven months ago, Justin Vandewater and I, uh, we started to do prayer walking. And uh, prayer walking is basically we go and we'll knock on someone's door or their apartment and we'll knock on and say, hey, we're just, uh, we're just in the area. We're just walking around praying for the community or praying for the apartment. Is there anything that we can pray for you about? And most of the time, people are like, no, I'm good. No, no thanks. And they'll shut the door and we move on. But it's been amazing the amount of opportunities that we have had. Someone shares, yeah, my sister just got diagnosed with cancer or something else happened. And it's, and it's crazy because in that moment, we get an opportunity to, to pray with them and then we always try to follow back up. We'll always go back to the apartment or ask them if we can come back and talk to them some more and sometimes they say yes and sometimes they say no. Well, about seven months ago, it was April, we, uh, we went prayer walking across 41st Street from the church office. So the church office, there's 41st Street. Right across the, the street there, there's a couple apartments. So we went prayer walking in this uh, apartment complex and we knocked on the door and we came across this woman named Julie. And Julie is about 60 years old. And the day that we knocked on her door, uh, she was completely intoxicated, completely drunk, was laying there. She was half clothed. Her, her apartment was a mess. So we stood there for a few minutes and we talked to her and she was able to actually communicate pretty well with us. And so we're talking to her and, and we, we prayed for her and we said, Julie, can we come back? And she said, yeah, you can come back. So almost every single Tuesday afternoon at 3.45 for four months, him and I went back to Julie's apartment, just continuing to, to talk to her, continuing to be present. And over that period of time, we just saw this alcoholism get worse and worse and worse to the point where Justin and Jamie had to take her to the emergency room one night. She couldn't, she couldn't move. She wasn't eating anything. It was, it was horrible. I think she was literally days away from, from passing. Finally, on July the 18th, we knocked on her door that Tuesday afternoon and we started talking to her and she said, I want some help. So we started making phone calls. We called Keystone, the treatment center in Canton, and is there openings? How do you do this? And how does all this happen? And, and we, we called her parents, who are actually still living. They live in northern Minnesota. And we, we figured out the next morning we could get her into Keystone. So Justin and I said, okay, we'll meet you tomorrow morning. Your, your dad will come down, and we'll get you into Keystone. So her dad came down, and we uh, got her, and we had to carry her to the car, put her in the car. And uh, as... Her father, whose name is Vic, as he shut the door, he stood there for a moment and he looked at me and he said, this has been 41 years of a battle. 41 years. He said, I just wanted to get better. I said, I know, Vic. 
I said, you know what? The only way she's going to overcome this addiction is through the grace of God, through Jesus Christ. We took her to Keystone. She was there for five weeks. Jenny and I visited her many times. And over that period of time, we just saw her kind of getting life back, just feeling better and better and eating and just looking so much better. And five weeks ago, she left Keystone. And she's doing great. I talked to her on Friday. Today is 81 days of being sober. On Monday, she moved into an apartment, a brand new place. She's making new friends. Uh, she's reconciled with her family, with her, her son and her daughter and her family. And Jenny has <laughs> spent so many hours with her. It's been incredible to watch. And she's told her, and I told her on Friday, I said, Julie, did you know that God spared you life for a reason? He's got plans for you. And we keep sharing this with her. And little by little, she's beginning to say, yeah, I think so. I think so. If there's anything that these parables teach us, it's not that we need more sermons. It's not that we need more teaching. It's not that we need to read a book or go to some special conference. We simply just need to go. We've got to start sweeping. Because I can only imagine, I can almost pretend to visualize the rejoicing that happens in heaven when the lost become found. And I pray that one day we will hear the, from the lips of Julie proclaiming Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And oh, how the angels will rejoice. You see, we need to capture the heart of the Father to love and to pursue the lost. We've got to start searching. Church, it's time to move. There is, there's no excuse. There are neighbors they sit next to us in the cubicles. Their desks are next to us at school, students. They're there. Some of them are rebelling, some of them are wandering, and some of them are simply forgotten. But they're there. 100,000 of them are in our city. Will you go? Let's get sweeping. Let's pray. God, I just praise you that you are so good. God, that your heart and your passion is for the lost. That they might know you. That they might understand the incredible pursuit and heart that you have for them. God, you pursue them like that lost sheep. You're willing to leave everything, the 99, so that that one would be found. And God, that's our mission. You call us into that. Just as the Father has sent me, Jesus said, so I'm sending you. You send us. God, that we could share the testimony and the love of Jesus Christ with the lost. But Lord, it's hard and it hurts and it's difficult and I'm fearful. But Lord, I pray that we would embrace the heart of you, God the Father. That you would open our eyes, that we would see that the opportunities, that the fruit are all around us. We just gotta be bold and we just gotta obey. Lord, would you stir us this week? Would you open our eyes to one person maybe that we see daily or weekly, and would you give us the boldness to have a conversation with them, to talk to them, to ask them about their relationship and religion, and if they know Jesus. God, would you give us the boldness to just ask, to get to know them. 
Lord, I pray for our church. I pray for Arise Church, God, that you would stir us in such a way that we would be compelled, that we'd be frenzied like the woman who lost the coin, that we would go out individually as families and corporately to seek and find the lost, that we would sweep. And Lord, that we'd come back and we would rejoice with you, God, for what you're doing in this world and how you take our feeble efforts and use them for your glory and to build your kingdom. I pray for my brothers and sisters today, God. Give them boldness, give them open eyes to see this week who are the lost, Lord, that you're drawing near to your heart. We ask these things in your name.